so don't you worry about that. Now this morning, Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, we'll get into this morning's message, and as I said earlier, we're in a series of messages, last week started it on what is real church? And uh, uh, in, in light of today and what's going on and, and, and how we have seen the church deteriorate uh, and so much apostasy uh, and, and, and what's going on in a lot of churches is really has nothing to do with the Bible. It's so far removed. And, and it's time that we take a look back at God's Word and realign ourselves or to answer questions that you might have on, yeah, why aren't we up with the times? You know, why, why doesn't pastor have smoke and mirrors and laser lights and people that come up out of the, out of the, out of the floor up here? And, and, and someone had suggested to me, uh, it's been a number of years now, and he says, you want to grow your church? And I, well, well, yeah, he says, uh, what you need to do is you need to get on that piano and you need to start every service on keep on the firing line, but let, your, let you come up out of the floor with smoke and lights. And I'm like, okay. And he says, you'll have a packed house. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not in the Bible. And so what you get them with, you'll have to keep them with. And so you got to be careful with that stuff. And after all, I don't play well enough to do that. Uh, I'd fall apart, and people would get tired of the same songs <laughs> after a while. But now this week, we got that first message on what is real church. And so we had to biblically uh, see from Scripture that Christ started it, and that He is the sole shareholder. He purchased it with His own blood. And that it had a doctrine that was specific. And that's where I ended that message because I believe that the Holy Spirit, that was the part where he gave me the green light and said, right here, you emphasize that point, which you can be wrong on a lot of things. You and I can disagree about a lot of things in this Bible or about how maybe church should be or how we should live our lives, but you cannot be wrong about Jesus. If you're wrong about Jesus, you will die and go to a devil's hell. And that is one of the doctrines. And, and remember, there's a verse in the Bible that says that the church, and I'll work my way to it, is the ground and pillar of the truth. And our job is to tell people about Jesus. And so this morning's message... We see that God started the church, what is real church. And we're talking about a body of believers that have been born again and scripturally baptized that assembled together in a local place to have this thing called church. But now this morning, part two is what is God's purpose of the church? I don't know if you've ever had that question. Maybe you have. Maybe you've questioned, why do we do this thing? You've just always done it because that's what your mom and dad's done. And that's what your grandma and grandpa has done. That you got up on Sunday morning, you got cleaned up, uh, you put on your Sunday go to church meetings clothes or as you call your Sunday best. Uh, in the old days, you had two suits of clothes. You had a, a pair of clothes that you wore every week, all day. You worked in, you washed them every evening. 
And then you had a new pair of clothes, which was called Sunday go to meeting clothes. And you wore them that way. That's what you wore when you went to church. It was your best. It's the best you had. And that principle just come from the Word of God. You don't bring God your worst. You bring God your best. Okay? And so uh, uh, you just grew up and that's what you did. But have you ever had the question, what do we do? Why do we just meet every week? Uh, why, why, why do we do this? You know, and you kind of catch yourself coming and going. Uh, you, you catch yourself coming back to church. You think you just, just left church and you're living your life. You got your weeks and they begin to repeat. And you lose focus on why do we even have in church? Well, it's, it's, it's good to be reminded from time to time on God's purpose of the local New Testament church. And I believe that we will find the commission for the church right here in Matthew chapter 28. And let's read a couple verses of Scripture. Uh, find your place there, and then I'll be in Luke 24. So we're not going to read much. I'll just read a couple of scriptures. But here, first in Matthew, Christ is risen from the dead. And he's getting ready to go back to heaven to be seated with the Father. And this is what he says to the apostles. And he says in verse 18, and well, let's move up. Verse 17, verse, verse 16. That's where we need to start because I want to make a comment there on verse 17. Then the eleven disciples, remember... Judas is gone. He betrayed. He went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Jesus told them before time, you will find me after three days and three nights in Galilee in a mountain. So they come there. He says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now watch this. But some doubted. Now they were worshiping. But they still had some doubts. They still worshiped. Now, we can stop there and preach. Uh, have you ever had doubts in your life? Uh, and, and so the Bible is indicating just because you doubt uh, what God can do, what God has done, you need to worship your way through that thing. God will increase that faith. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven, and in earth, very powerful statement. Now here's where we get what we call the Great Commission. It's the Great Commandment to the church. You say, well, well preacher, this is the 11 apostles or disciples. Well, the Bible is clear to tell us in Ephesians 2, verse 20, that they are the ground and the pillar, part of the foundation of the church. So their command to them is also applicable to us. And then he says that Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone of the church. So he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And now let me run over to Luke. He's going to be talking about the same thing. I'm going to use some different wording to bring about a fuller understanding of what the purpose of the church is. 
And verse 45 of Luke 24, the Bible says, Then opened he their understanding, talking about Christ, this is on the road to Emmaus, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, death, burial, resurrection, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and your witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today. Be with those that couldn't be here today. Maybe they're under the weather. Now, Father, we also pray for those that are backslid. They should be here and they're just not. Lord, that you work in their hearts also because they're forsaking the assembling. Lord, we pray for those that are down. We pray for Sister Kathy Holly. We pray that she continue to get better and to heal and to quickly get back to normalcy in her life with her back surgery. Lord, we give you all the glory and honor this morning. Speak through me. Let the Holy Spirit work and open the eyes of the blind. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So as I said last week, the message was on what is real church? And we learned from the Word of God what the Bible had to say about church. We got into how it was started that it's made up of born-again believers. It's not a building. We have a beautiful building, and, and we want to fill it, but it's not the church. There's been many good church services down by the riverside or in Brush Harbor meetings, but church is a called-out assembly. It's a called-out assembly of believers who have been born again, and He's called them out to be separate from the world and from the power and the ideology of the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. We're not supposed to use the world's methods to gain a big crowd. This is God's church. And then we learned about the doctrine of the church, about Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey says. There's only one way to heaven. We preach the salvation gospel, not a social gospel here. And Jesus was born of a virgin. That Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. And it is a doctrine. That doctrine right there, you cannot be wrong on who Jesus is. The Bible was clear. We went to 1 John 5, 7, where he clearly tells you there's three that bear witness, and then he says, and these three are one. Pretty plain. That Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, and Jesus rose again the third day, and Jesus is alive today seated on the right hand of God. And so, why do we come to church? 
besides the fact that the Bible tells us to. And the Bible does tell us. He commands us. And if you've seen that over there in Matthew, he says you need to teach the new believers all the things that I've commanded you. So there are some commands that God wants us to follow. And one of those commands is to go to church. I'll give you that scripture and we'll read it because I need to make a point there in the introduction. It's in Hebrews chapter 10 about verse 24. And he says, let us consider one another. Now look where he's going about this because he's talking about being considerate, being kind, being loving. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So he says, we need to be considerate of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we won't attend and when we forsake the assembling, we're not being considerate of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that's the Bible. I didn't write it. It's not my ideal. It's not my philosophy. The Bible is very clear on this that church is so very important. And it has a purpose. And then he says this to finish that verse. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. He said some, that's their conviction. That word manner means conviction. It's an old English word. He says, but we're to exhort one another and so much the more. We need to do this more and more as you see the day approaching. Now, what day is that? That's the coming of Christ. And so as the world gets more wicked, we're to have more church, not less church. Oh, man, preacher. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, it is. And it's actually in the New Testament. It's been there uh, all the time since God wrote it. So what do we do now that we are saved and attending church. What is our purpose? Why do we meet together? What's going on? I believe it can be summed up here in Matthew. And verses 19. He gives us a commission. He's addressing the 11 disciples. Or apostles. Apostles means sent ones. Disciple means disciplined pupil. And so he's getting ready to send them out. After the death, burial, and resurrection, there will be sent ones. And that's why the picture this morning, it's a picture of someone barefoot, but he's on the go. He's on the move. And I thought that to be fitting to portray church and what God's ideal is for the church. Number one I see, here in verse 19, he says, Go. Do you see that? Go is action. Go means you're going to have some movement. I call this biblical evangelism. This is action. It has to do with movement. The main focus of the church is to go and tell others about Christ. And that is why I read Luke 24 also. Because over there he says, preach. Here he says, teach. And you say, well, preacher, which is it? 
Well, it's both. Brother Paul Dabdu, one of my teachers, Bible school, said, what the Bible is teaching you is that every time you preach something, you teach something. And every time you teach something, you preach a little something. And what that does is bring balance to the ministry. I find that to be true. You know, a church that just does all teaching, they can be as straight as a gun barrel, but dead as a doornail. No life. But you can have another church that gets into all preaching and, and what I call camp meeting style, and I'm not against it, uh, but camp meeting style. And so they, they get into the glory and you hear the shout and the running, and I'm for shouting and running if God's in it. But you get all of that, but no teaching. And you then what happens is that evolves into sensationalism and, and emotionalism. Lacking discernment. And so then it gets out of balance the other way. And it's like a tire. It's got to be balanced. Because when it begins to spin and go, you don't want it bouncing. And so the Bible is teaching us that as a pastor... As a preacher, because he tells Timothy to preach, then he tells Timothy to teach. And he says, you bring balance in this. But then Luke says, here's what you preach. You preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But then he says, you confront them about sin. Oh, that's a bad word today, isn't it? So nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about uh, living in sin. And, and here's how you need to think about this. Sin is a crime against God. And so when you break God's law, it's a crime against a just and a holy God. And a lost man needs to understand there's a reason that he needs to be born again. is because in his present state, he is at enmity with God. He's living in sin. He has the way of the world he's ingrained in. He doesn't care about the things of God. He doesn't care about the house of God. He doesn't care about the Bible. All he cares about is the next situation that will bring him some pleasure in this life. Whether that comes through alcohol, drugs, uh, uh, all manner. We, there's, there's a list a mile long in the Bible. And he says, when you preach Jesus, you make sure that those people know that they're sinners. Now, what did I say a few weeks ago? Any gospel presentation that leaves out the confrontation about your sin condition is not right. What did Jesus preach? Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. The early church preached repentance. Acts chapter 2. They fall under Holy Spirit conviction. Biggie says, you were the ones that killed Jesus. You're guilty of the innocent blood. That was the Messiah. That was the anointed one. They said, what must we do? He says, repent. Receive Christ. 
and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Say, well, you didn't say that exactly. I'm paraphrasing. He says, repent and be baptized. Say, oh, so baptism part of it? We'll get to that in a minute. No, it's not. There's people that get messed up on water baptism. They think water saves you. It don't. Doesn't say that in the Bible. Repentance, trusting Christ. He says repentance, there in Luke, he said repentance toward God. Repentance is when you turn from your wicked way, how you're living your life, now that you've been confronted that you're committing crimes against God, you say, I didn't realize that. I didn't know. I know I have this hole down inside of me, and I'm you doing all these things to fill it, and nothing's bringing me happiness. That's because Jesus is missing, and you need to turn to Jesus. But you're going to have to confront them about sin. There's a reason they need Jesus. They're lost and undone in their sins. So he says, go. We need to go. This is called biblical evangelism. It's the saving gospel that we're to preach. But then he says, don't leave out. Now remember over there in Luke? He says, you preach repentance of sins, but you also preach remission. That's forgiveness of sins. I don't care what sins you've committed. Jesus said, you come to him. You turn your life to him. You trust him. You receive him and he'll forgive you of your sin and all unrighteousness. He said, don't leave that part out either. The remission of sin. So some, they fulfill this part of the commission as missionaries. Church should support missions. We support missionaries. You should support missions through your local church. You do support missions, don't you? It's part of the Great Commission. It's part of being obedient to Christ. Some go as pastors and teachers. Some go as evangelists. Everyone that is born again has been commanded to go. Now, I'm not going to take the time this morning to turn there. You could turn to, let's turn there. i got plenty of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14. Talking about the love, in verse 14, of Christ. He's talking about salvation. When you get saved, you receive the love of Christ. Now, this world talks about a love. They talk about God's love, but it's completely different than what the Bible describes. He says, God's love, in verse 14, it constraineth us. That means it's going to move you. It's going to hold you back from things that are wrong and direct you into things that are right. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, talking about saved people now, should not henceforth live unto themselves. So after you get saved, it's not your life, it's God's life now. 
but unto him which died for them and rose again. Why? Because Jesus owns the church. You're the church. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Therefore, because you've been born again, if any man, uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What does he mean, preacher? That means there's going to be great change in the life of a believer. That's how you can see that. You know, if someone gets born again, they might have problems with alcohol. They might even be a drunk. And they can surely get saved, but after 10 years, they're still an alcoholic. There's a problem. There's been no change. You say, oh, preacher, but I know people that's gotten saved. I, I didn't. Sometimes God takes it away immediately. Other times it's a little more of a battle. But I will put it to you like this as I preached last week. When you get saved, God releases you from the power of Satan, from the power of this world, and from the power of the flesh. And by the way, of those three enemies I just listed, your flesh will be the biggest enemy you face. Mm -hmm. We blame the devil for a lot of things that it's just our flesh. Nate used to have a phrase years ago. We, we couldn't hardly pass a restaurant. He said, man, I'm hungry. I said, you're hungry? How do you know you're hungry? He says, my belly tells me I'm a hungry. I like that phrase. My belly told me. Now, he started out at four pounds. He was little. Now, you couldn't tell that now because he took off. He was a new creature. <laughs> he, he desired the sincere milk. <laughs> and he grew. <laughs> That's how a new child, a new person, a new creature in Christ is to be. There's a change. Old things, he says, old things are passed away. What did you used to do? Well, preacher, I used to sing in the honky tonks. Well, now that you're saved, that should change. Well, I used to sing karaoke night down at the bar, and I used to pick up ladies. That should not be going on after you're born again. You should be singing in God's house. I don't care what you used to be, but now that you're born again, sing for Jesus. Use those talents for the Lord. I used to be a druggie. You shouldn't still be a druggie. I used to smoke dope. You still should not be smoking dope after you're saved. There should be a change. It should bother you. Well, it don't bother me, preacher. You're telling on yourself. <laughs> There's not a new creature down there. I don't know about you, but when my flesh rises up and it wants me to do something that I know is against the Word of God. I don't know about you, but it really bothers me. That's the Holy Spirit of God that lives down inside. It says, eh, don't go there. Mm, ah, and it'll bother your conscience. Now, if that's not in you, there's one of two reasons why it's not. You're so backslid that the Holy Spirit is so grieved He's not operating the way that he should be, or you're lost. Now, I need to get to the part I wanted to get to. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself 
and hath given to us. Who's that? The church, the ministry, rendering aid to others of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. So what's the purpose of the church? Well, Christ is telling us everybody that's sitting here has influence on at least 250 people that the person sitting next to you does not have an influence on. And so as you go, he says, go ye therefore in all the world. So as you go, as you're living your life, because we got to work to eat, we got bills to pay, uh, we, we got lives to live and children to raise. But he says, as you go, you tell people about Jesus. Go. The church is about evangelism. Everyone has been commanded to do this. We need to tell people at work about Jesus. Some of y'all do that. Years ago, there was a movement, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm careful with movements, but their thinking was the only way to evangelize was to go out and do what I call cold door knocking. That means you don't have a lead. You don't have a reason to be there. But you just go out and you just start knocking on doors. And, and the formula was you need to knock on no less than 150 doors a week. And for every about every 500 doors you knock on, you might get two people interested in listening to you. That's a lot. And so those people said, if you're not doing it like that, then you ain't doing it. I got news for you. There's more than one way to tell others about Jesus. I don't know about you, and maybe I'm just telling on myself. Has anybody ever been plagued by meat salesmen, door-to-door -door meat salesmen in the day? Is that not annoying? Door-to-door -door window salesmen. Ever had them come to your door? And you kindly, it starts the first time very kindly saying, no, sir, I'm not interested. I don't have a dime to my name. I, I can't afford it. I don't want it at this time. And all of a sudden, next Tuesday, they come by again. And so this time, it's the same person. You say, sir, please, I'm not interested. And then after he's gone, the meat salesman comes by, knocking on the door. Man, you got to buy my steak. Sir, I, I said, are you giving any away? <laughs> no. Then I can't get none. I'm broke. Well, then they get smart and they send somebody new the third week. Hey. You need to buy our windows. Anybody ever dealt with that? That gets old, don't it? By the time somebody comes knocking at your door trying to share a little bit of the gospel, you're about mad. I call that cold door knocking. Now, there's room for it. We need to do some of that. But that is not the only mode. You can tell people at work. Matter of fact, the people at work should be asking you why you're different. You do act like a follower of Christ at work, don't you? Huh? You eat, don't you? Eat out. You could leave a gospel track with your tip. How about your neighbor? They know you're saved, right? 
The Bible does say to love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, but I can't stand mine. <laughs> that proviso is not in there. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not. Be a hard mission field. How about the handyman? How about the yard sale lady? How about the lawn care person? And I got a good report on some people in my church this week. It was already in my message, but I got a good report. I, I get information from all points. Said that somebody was asking where could they go to a church where there was a family tight-knit atmosphere. They didn't want something too big or fancy. They want an old-fashioned church. And three ladies in our church commented on Facebook and says, Our church. You know what that is, lady? That is evangelism. That is going. You don't have to walk to be going. Not in our age. It's the electronic age. You know what? <clears throat> Pastor kind of swelled up a little bit like, Amen. That's good. I claimed you this week. <laughs> I blessed my soul. It was already in the message. I didn't add it after I heard that. It was already in there. Because the Holy Spirit had run across me, and the Holy Spirit must have run it across you all, because you immediately commented and says, Our church. Yeah, amen. Our church. You say, well, uh, 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 our church ain't perfect. There's no church perfect. There's room for improvement, room for growth. But we still need to be going and telling. Don't vet people. Say, I don't know if they'd fit in. Let them make that decision. I don't know. They might get mad at you, preacher. I'll try to mind my P's and Q's, but I'm just going to preach the book. We got to get to that next point. So, evangelism, go, therefore, on the world and preach the gospel. But he says, baptizing them. He said, so is that part of it? Well, no, it is the first step in the life of a believer after he gets saved. Let me show that to you because we see it in operation in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, turn there real quick because this is important. And then we'll, we'll comment on what he says. It's important. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. This is the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's reading the scriptures in Philip the evangelist. So he's going. God sent him. He says, understandest what thou readest? And he says, well, no. How can I except so man explain it to me? And so he gets up in the chariot and starts preaching to him Jesus the Ethiopian eunuch was reason, reading Isaiah 53. And so here's what happens in verse 36. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He's preaching right. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See here, it is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You say, Oh, 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 oh. Well, there's verse 37. Now, if you don't have a King James Bible, a 1611, verse 37 will be missing in your Bible. The number will be there. I know this is so in the NIV. They take this verse out, and it's a very important verse in your Bible. And who would want to take God's Word out of the Bible? Well, it wasn't God. 
it would be the devil. Let's read the next verse. And Philip said, because he's talking about, I need to be baptized. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Did you see that? Now, why would somebody want to take that out of a Bible so they could emphasize water baptism? That's why. Water baptism is something that's the first step in the life of a follower of Christ that you do. You follow, it's called following the Lord in believers' baptisms. The first step of obedience. If someone doesn't want to get baptized, it's a sure indication something's not right. So, well, somebody could be afraid. I've, I've seen that, yeah. Some people have water phobias. Some people, hey, I've met all kinds. But at least they wanted to be baptized. And he says, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, I have believed. And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. Now let's go back to Matthew. Because he specifically lays something out here that we must cover as far as one of the purposes of the church. So purpose of the church is to go. So this week, you're to be going. And how you live your life, you go. At work, on the job, at the restaurant, when you go yard selling, you're going to either leave gospel tracts, we got them back there, or you're going to tell people about Jesus. And you say, man, I just, I, I can't hardly get in front of somebody and say, hey, do you know if you die right now where you're going? That's very awkward. You're right, it is. And I wouldn't advise that. So what would you advise? Here's what I would advise. If the Lord puts somebody on heart, you, you need to open up conversation with them. Why don't you say this to them? Has anybody told you today that Jesus loves you? Mm. You don't know what people are going through. I've seen people literally break down and start crying when I say that and ask them that. I'm about ready to end it all. No, I'm not, no, I didn't know that. People are carrying some pretty heavy burdens. And they're going to need Jesus to help them get through that. Why don't you start that conversation like that? Have a little tact about yourself. Did, did Jesus approach the woman at the well? Say, hey, you know, you've been married five times and living with some guy now. You know you're dying going to hell. Is that how he started that conversation? Then why do they teach people to start conversations like that? I, I wouldn't. No, the Lord didn't start it that way, did he? Mm -mm. You could tell somebody and ask them, has anybody told you today that God loves you. Jesus loves you. If they stop and reply, it is the Holy Spirit opening the door. If they don't, say, no, thank you very much. I'm on my way. And you move on. That's not awkward. Biblical baptism. There's a proper way to baptize the believer. He'd not put it in there. If it wasn't so, sprinkling's not in the Bible, by the way. 
But there's a particular way to baptize. He says to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Why would he say that? Because there's going to be some people that won't want to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because they don't believe in the Trinity. That's not the right one. It's not the right gospel. He's being very specific here. If you've been here when I've baptized people, I say, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Buried with Him in, and, and baptism raised to newness of life. That's scriptural. And there's a reason. It's because it, it teaches Trinity three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, oh, preacher, I was baptized, but I was baptized in the name of Jesus only. They're preaching another gospel. There's something wrong there. The Bible's really specific. And I took the time to share that with you because it's not my opinion on the matter. It's thus saith the Lord. This is the letters in red. He said, no, you make sure you baptize your converts in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost. Baptists are afraid to say Holy Ghost. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Now, let's move on to that last point, and we'll hurry. I really wanted to focus the whole message here, but I'm not going to do that. I'm out of time, so we'll get to this last point. You see that next point? He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Do you see that? I believe, personally, that discipleship, he's talking about discipleship, is the most neglected mission of the church today. We have uh, social programs. We have games. We have softball teams, basketball teams. We have senior trips, youth trips, couples retreats. And all those in the church, you know, I'm not saying those are wrong, but we have no discipleship teams when we were specifically told that we need to teach new converts. It's direct. It should be emphasized. So God does have commands that He wants us to observe after we're saved. Tell others about Jesus. Live a holy life, a separated life. He says, be holy as I am holy. Join a Bible preaching Local church, don't forsake it and support your local church. Now, here's three reasons why the Lord wants us to disciple. And I believe this to be very, very lacking. Now, we have a discipleship program. My problem is a lot of new converts don't want to be discipled, which already tells me something's wrong. When someone doesn't want to know more about Jesus, mm, then someone didn't believe with all their heart something's wrong. Because there should be a desire. You know this little baby, Terry Ann, grandbaby? I'll, I'll kid you not, every two and a half hours, if you don't have a bottle in her mouth, she'll let you know about it. If you ain't holding her, She'll let you know about it. If you ain't spending time with her, she'll let you know about it. If she wants to be with you or she has a wet pamper, she'll definitely let you know about it. 
You know, the Bible says, as babes desire the sincere milk of the word, so do new Christians. They have that same desire. And when you don't see it like that, there's a problem. She wants to learn. She wants to grow. Newborn Christians should too. Now, here's three reasons, and I'm closing. We need to ground the new believer in the Word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Establish the new convert in the fellowship of believers. You know what we're doing with little Terry Ann? We're establishing her in the fellowship of the family. We're socializing her with the family. She's getting to know each and every one of us, especially Paul Paul. And don't be stealing Paul Paul's kisses. And then we'll establish her in the fellowship of the believers. She'll grow up that way. But we need to establish the new converts in the fellowship of the believers. Make them feel welcome. Uh, uh, Begin to have teaching moments with them and guide them, many times just by example. But then thirdly, to help the new converts discover their life mission for God. There's a lot of people today that don't know what the will of God is for their life because nobody's taken the time in the church they're in to disciple them. We got the programs. We got the fun. But there's no teaching moments, no discipling moments. You see, Jesus knew love was spelled C-O-M-M-I-T-M-E-N-T. That's commitment. It's a lot of commitment to a newborn. A lot of commitment. That's why the Bible uses that illustration. Discipleship does not happen on its own. It begins with a commitment from another believer who will impart his faith and his love to one in need of growth. Discipleship is not a book. It's a lifestyle. That's the purpose of a Bible-believing local New Testament church. To go, to bring them in, to tell them about Jesus, to see them follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and then to begin to disciple them so that they can discover their life mission for Christ. And then we rinse and repeat. We keep repeating that. And that's how the church is to grow. what real church is about now in the weeks to come we'll preach and we'll add to that because there's more to it but these are the three main things that are in God's church now we'll get into philosophies different philosophies and what modern philosophies has done to hurt the body of Christ and their approach We must stay with the Word of God. It must be our main focus. We should be going and telling others about Christ, bringing them in, bringing in the sheaves to see them follow the Lord, believers' baptism, and then to be discipled. And then they go and they do the same. Let's all stand this morning. God's purpose of the church was to continue the ministry of reconciliation. To tell people about the love of Christ and that He come to die for their sins 
And that if they'll come to him, he will in no wise cast them out, but will forgive them of their sins, give them a clean slate to start life with. And then they can discover their life mission for the Lord. Song of imitation, please.